Hello, friends, and welcome to the National Deer Association's Coffee and Deer Podcast with your hosts, Nick Pinizzato and the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a very special Build the Fork event, or actually events. We've done a few of these now. Uh, NDA has been working with Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries to host four different senior deer hunts uh, for residents on or near their campuses, which is pretty cool. And I say seniors, uh, some of these folks are 90 plus years old and either deer hunting for the first time or revisiting deer hunting, sort of reactivating, which is pretty cool. We're going to be joined by their CEO and big deer hunter himself, Mr. Rodney Harrison, and also NDA's deer outreach specialist, Shane Matzenbacher out of Missouri. So busy show. It's going to be a fun topic, touching topic, uh, and it's going to be fun. So also, we're going to give a bit of a uh, rut report as, as you're listening to this. It's November 8th. So hopefully you're hearing this on your way to the Deer Woods, unless you have already one of those lucky people that tagged out. And based on my Instagram feed, I think everybody's tagged out, but you and I, Mike. So <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, before we get into all that, let's welcome a man who recently welcomed a new visitor to his New York hunting property, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to follow that up with something else. No. Um, yeah. It's been pretty slow here. This has been an odd year for me at my place. I haven't seen any really great shooter bucks, except for a couple that have just breezed through. So I got a, I would I wouldn't want to call it a ghost image, but an, an image of of what looks like a really, really big buck that just skirted the trail camera and just got his image clicked as he was kind of walking and quartering away. So sent that to you. You tried to enhance it a little bit, and it looks like he's a good one. It's funny because I'm literally sitting in a tree in Delaware. And it, first of all, the service is awful out there. I think the flatter the ground, the worse the cell service has been my experience across the country, but uh, this picture comes in and I'm literally up there trying to like edit it with my phone in the tree while I'm waiting for deer to come. Cause I was excited and was trying to bring out some of the, uh, you know, just try to enhance the photo a little bit, but there's no, no doubt about it. It's a really nice deer. And so I was excited for you and this sort of follows a pattern. Um, it's always frustrating when you don't see them all throughout the, you know, late summer and early fall. But as I told you, it doesn't really matter. Like I had four, four deer that I was really interested in shooting at my place. And now I'm only seeing like one of those <laughs> hanging around. Mm -hmm. And so I'd much rather see those four deer in, in late October, early November than see them in September. And you've kind of had the opposite over the years where you've got nice deer that show up when you want them to show up. And man, it'd be cool to see this one in person. Yeah, this one looked, I mean, to be somewhere around what, 18, 20 inches wide, but really high, you know, probably that rack sits up off of his head. What would you say? At least a foot, maybe a yeah. little bit more than that. Yeah, I don't I don't know about all inches and all that. I just know big when I see it. And so that's, yeah. uh, well, I mean, I just, I'm trying to quantify it, you know, or describe it for everyone that's listening because, you know, it's like when I hear, okay, how big is big? I want to know what someone's definition of big is, so but we can't tell points. All we can see is just the profile of that, uh, not the profile, but kind of like that quartering away profile of the rack. So, uh, and it was real hazy, real blurry in regards to that distance. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's a nice deer and the details will maybe get a better picture and we'll know, but, uh, 
it's like you just you just know it's nice and that's all you need to know sometimes and so yeah good deal uh, so it's funny since we did the show i i had i was sitting on zero deer for the year which you know heading into late october for me is i can't remember the last time that happened but now all of a sudden over a three-day period i've tagged two deer and so that's good the freezer is full um it will be full anyway once I get the the meat back. But anyway, uh, in Pennsylvania, right before I left for Delaware, uh, I was able to take a doe one evening, uh, a nice nice adult doe, a good hunt. I put my decoy out for the first time and got a lot of good reaction to it, which is cool. It's fun to hunt with a decoy. I mean, it's I know that it's uh, I don't do it a ton. Matter of fact, I had to blow the dust off of my old uh, decoy there to take it out there so i cleaned them up and and got them all uh, uh ready to go and looking good and uh, there's a whole other backstory that i'm not going to share on here but i forgot the tail and i got creative with a tail <laughs> let's just put it that way uh to add a little uh, real life effect to that decoy but uh yeah the deer come in some young bucks come in and responded to it and then eventually this doe come around and really it held her focus while i was able to to get a good shot on her and so that was cool. That was a nice way to head out. And then um, in Delaware, also an evening hunt, uh, I was able to take a doe. What had happened out there, the very first hunt in the morning, I had a nice adult doe come in, but there was, I could hear a deer grunting behind her. And so obviously I'm not, uh, I wasn't in a hurry to fill that doe tag. Well, then sure enough, I let her walk right by. And then here comes this young buck, you know, doing his thing, doing young buck things at the beginning of November. And so I missed out on her, but then that evening, or maybe it was the next evening, it was that evening, uh, right at last light, I had an adult doe come in and she was by herself and I could clearly see that she wasn't being chased and I was able to take her. And so, uh, and then I was able to, what I always love to do is go over and see my friends at Mark's Meats there in Delaware, because they just, they just make the most awesome products. And what I love about them too, is they've been, they've got this really cool QDMA, uh, of course now NDA supporter sign that sits in their building, which is really cool. So that was, that was good. So anyway, from zero to two, it just shows you how quickly this time of year, uh, that can happen. Well, it sounds like, you know, first of all, congratulations. That was, um, you know, that was a, an interesting couple of days for you. I mean, I was living vicariously through you because I was not hunting. Um, we were joking around the other day. It seems like every time I, put off my hunting until when I have the best chance. I work really hard to get a little bit of time available or freed up right about now. And then all of a sudden it seems like the phone starts to ring or the text messages start coming through from my kids and it's, Hey, I need, I need this. Okay. You want to do this. And like we talked about as a dad, you know, it's, it's tough to kind of give up something you really enjoy, but when it comes to your kids, you know, it's, support the kids or sit out a tree stand. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being pulled at both ends, but you know, you did really well. I think you need to get Mark's meets uh, an updated NDA sign. I think that that would be the first order of business. Yeah. Well, the first order of business would be to get some made. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. We need to, we need to get on that, but uh, no, that was good. And then as far as bucks go, of course, I'm out there hunting with uh, my good buddy, Ron Hawes, friend of the show here. Uh, and so mature bucks right we had we had set a few cameras out and knew there were some good deer around and so the one morning i think it was the third morning i was there beautiful cold right at freezing temperatures and uh 
I could hear a deer working a tree out of my sight. And you can't see real far. We're hunting in a giant swamp. So you can't, it's not like you can see, it's not like hunting the Midwest where you can see your deer come from two miles away sometimes. And so I thought, you know, I've never had much luck calling here, but I know there's a buck down there thrashing a tree. I'm just going to go ahead and hit the grunt tube just one time and, and not be tempted to sit there and, you know, keep blowing on the grunt tube and just see what happens. What do I have to lose? Because I felt confident that the steer was going to go the other direction. And so I just hit the, hit the grunt just one time and shoved it right back down in my coat. So I wasn't tempted. And all of a sudden I didn't hear anything. And then a few moments later, I could hear that getting closer. And I'm like, ah, this deer is actually responding. And I have to be honest, I was fully expecting to see like a 18 month old buck or maybe a two year old, but no, I mean, this was a, a bona fide shooter. I think he's based on his trail camera pictures, probably a four and a half year old, really nice, long time, dark rack buck. And so because I don't call much, I was reminded about some of the perils of calling. And one of them is a deer is pretty darn good at pinpointing your exact location, much like a turkey is, you know, they know exactly where it's coming from. I don't know how they do it, but the buck is coming directly at me. And so he does stop in an opening and he's 18 yards away and I'm standing there with my bow, but he's, he is straight on. And so it's that terrible situation because I got a tree between me and him. And so you got to decide which side of the tree you want to put your bow on. And so if he goes to one side of the tree and your bow is on the, on the opposite, you got to try to get that arrow around the tree, uh, which is challenging without making noise. And so anyway, I'm, I'm, all this is going through my mind while he's standing there looking around. And uh, of course, then, because he's headed directly for my tree as, as bad luck would have it, he takes one more step and he hits my walk-in trail. And he puts his nose to the ground and it, he didn't even stand there for an extra second, Mike. I mean, he literally was spun back around and he was out of there. And so it was awesome to see a beautiful buck like that, have him close and get the adrenaline pumping. It turns out that he passed by two of the cameras we had out that morning. So I at least have that. But once again, uh, I was outwitted by a nice mature buck. But like I said, that's winning to me. That was still a lot of fun, even though I didn't make it happen. Yeah, and there's people that go the entire season and don't get a chance to even grab their bow, you know, at a deer that they want to take. So it's, but that's why we do it because it's not easy. Every time you went out and you actually harvested your target animal, I don't think we would do it. But no. speaking of, you know, a deer coming right at you and putting the the bind, I forgot to mention you knew this, but... I had a buck when I was climbing up into my stand, one of the few mornings I got out, actually step on my bow. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was up in the tree. It was dark still, you know, but it was, it was when the full moon hit. And so I could literally see, so I'm hanging up all my stuff by just moonlight. And I hear a deer start walking, just like you said, and walking, I'm in the saddle, he's walking right from the backside of the tree. And it's just like everything else. All hunters know that, okay, eventually they're going to branch off. Well, this deer does not branch off. It's still coming, still coming, still coming. It's to the point where I'm like, oh my God, this thing's going to just literally be at the base of the tree. But he was coming in from the opposite direction that I walked because I walked up a creek, stepped out of this creek bank and up the tree I went. And he's walking along the shoreline, which I think might have been the, the reason. But all of a sudden he walks in between the my tree, which is a big red oak, and a small, just little wispy, I think it was a sugar maple. And literally at the base, they were only probably about a foot and a half apart. And he had 20 yards of 
you know, more open space, walks right through. Well, that's right where my bow is sitting on the ground in between these two trees. Steps on my bow, his hooves start clanging, you know, making noise, freaks him out. Well, he goes to jump and spin. He's in between two trees, so he knocks into the small tree. So then he tries to jump again. Now my bow goes flipping eight yards, still attached to my haul line. Uh, and I text you, I'm like, dilemma. Uh, Buck stepped on my bow. I don't even know if I should get down and try and shoot it if it's even. I looked at everything. It seemed okay. So I sat in the tree. I didn't have a chance to even. I drew it. Everything seemed fine. Came back that afternoon and shot it, and it's still dialed in. So it took a, the old Bowtech took a beating, but it's still kicking. <laughs> well, you know, and I think as I hear that story, and we talked about it, but hearing the story again, and as I'm, and I just told the story about calling, the likely scenario there, Mike, is that deer heard you coming in. You know, these these younger bucks right now, they're they're up for about anything at this point. It, just tell me where the party is and I'm going. <laughs> I don't even have to know anybody there, but I'm, I'm just going to check it out. He probably heard you coming in. And we've all had anyone that's hunted any length of time has had it happen where they're climbing a tree and they've got a deer coming in. Or in my case, on one of my hunts, I'm climbing down the tree and I've got deer coming in. Um, and I think that's what it was. He was coming where he heard the noise and Next thing you know, he was uh, harassing you and your bow, but uh, you made it through no worse for wear. But that's a that's a pretty cool story. That's something that's never happened to me. But uh, back onto the buck trail. So then, you know, our friend Ron, this is just yesterday morning. Uh, he, the poor guy, he's had just tough luck. So when you're hunting from a saddle, which Ron and I do and the doctor does and you know that there are or can be some shooting limitations, especially on your offside. And so Ron did not get a shot at a really good buck earlier this year in mid-October because the deer came to his offside and he couldn't get around. And then yesterday, he's watching this doe come off his one side and he kind of turns to get a good look at her. In the meantime, this unbeknownst to him, because he's hunting in some pines and there's a bunch of pine straw, so a deer can get on get in on you without you knowing it. It's very quiet. Well, this giant eight point come in off his opposite side, and, and there was nothing he could do. He had to watch it walk away because he couldn't get turned around to get a shot. And so uh, I felt really bad for Ron. Uh, it's the second time it's happened to him. And so I think he's going back to a more traditional... <laughs> tree stand set up, which I get because you're not as limited. Uh, it's nice to hunt mobile and you can still hunt mobile with a tree stand. It's just heavier, but at the same time, you're giving up shot uh, opportunities. Now, incidentally, because I'm trying to eliminate that and Mike, you and I've been going back and forth on this. Um, I went out and picked myself up a really lightweight and smallish uh, sort of traditional hang on stand, but it, it's, I guess what they would call it is sort of hybrid saddle hunting. Uh, I picked up this XOP retrograde. Uh, and so um, just sort of a shameless plug. We have no relationship with XOP or whatever. It's just a good product. I'm happy to tell you about it. And it's it's lightweight. I think it's like five or six pounds. And it works like a stand or a, or a saddle platform. And I hunted with that this entire week. And I'm, I'm really hooked on the idea of it. Um, and so that's, I think, sort of, helping to eliminate that issue of you do everything right and you get the deer to come in only not to be able to get a shot at it. And so I feel bad for Ron, but, uh, you know, bringing that all back to a rut report and what people are seeing out there. Yes, there are a lot of deer dropping. You see them on social media. Uh, however, my observation has been uh, that the mature bucks in particular really aren't 
too vulnerable just yet. The majority of the bucks that are running hard are still the young ones. Those in many cases that I've seen still have fawns with them. Although I think every day, like I said, this is November 8th, as you listen to this, every day forward from now on is going to be, it's going to be a busy day in the deer woods for bucks of all ages. So I think that as you're listening to this and you still have a tag in your pocket, this, this is the time. What do you think, Mike? What's your plan? Well, my plan is I, I need to get, get going here. You know, I need to be able to get more time in the woods. So um, I do have a few days coming up and I mean a very few days, it's three, but I'm going to be out and um, I have the locations I want to be at. So I just need the, the wind to get me there or, you know, just a crushing amount of high pressure so I can get in there no matter what and just have my scent drift almost straight up and over. So um, I'm excited to go. This is what I've been waiting for all year. I believe I'm a better rut hunter than anything else. So um, this is why I don't get too worked up until about this time of year, but now I do feel the crunch that I got to get going. Yeah. It's funny. You wait, you wait, you wait. And then all of a sudden, whoop, there it goes. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> so yeah, I'm with you. Well, uh, folks, good luck to you out there. We'll talk a little more deer hunting here after we, uh, get to the interview, but let's do that now. Let's go ahead and shift over to the interview and bring in Rodney Harrison and Shane Matzenbacher. excited to have our two guests with us today on the Coffee and Deer podcast, uh, Rod, Rodney Harrison, we'll call him Rod, uh, throughout the show here, and Shane Matzenbacher. So Rodney is from Baptist Homes and Healthcare. He's the CEO there, and Shane Matzenbacher has been on the show before as a guest. Shane is one of my colleagues here at the NDA. He's a deer outreach specialist in Missouri, but uh, let's take them one at a time. So uh, Rod, great to have you on the show. Uh, in addition to being the CEO and uh, of Baptist Homes and Healthcare, also a listener to the podcast, which is cool. Uh, also, uh, certainly, I would describe you, Rod, and based on my research, as someone who's willing to think creatively, which is how we've got you landed here on the show. And so uh, I'm going to stop there, Rod, and welcome you and ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your outdoors background, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's great to be on the uh, Coffee and Deer podcast. I grew up in a uh, small community in California. My father was an ag professor and uh, grew up reading outdoor life, sports afield, really anything related to the outdoors uh, just really caught my attention. And so uh, when I was growing up, uh, wanted to be in the field as much as possible, fishing, hunting, over the years, uh, ended up living in uh, places like northern Minnesota. Uh, sometimes we'd call that the land of God's frozen chosen. And uh, <laughs> yet many of those years were back in California. And so I just grew up in a non-hunting family, but one that was very open to uh, encouraging me to pursue any of the outdoor pursuits that uh, were of interest. They, they always supported that. And uh, then in 2003, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of moving our family to Missouri, and so we have been in Missouri now for almost 21 years, and it was there that uh, was able to really re-engage. Um, I'd be what you'd call a reactivated hunter, and so was able to reactivate that interest and became involved in uh, uh, hunting and uh, doing a little bit more fishing and just enjoying 
creation a little bit more. So that's just a little bit of the background. I have served in higher education, uh, served as a dean of a college and seminary for many years, and then just four years ago, uh, came back to my roots, which were in healthcare. So my original uh, degree and, and calling were in healthcare, and so now I have the great privilege of uh, working with an organization that oversees nine campuses throughout the state, uh, providing senior care. So that's just a little bit of background. Uh, I, I would be amiss if I didn't mention I have three great kids and 10 grandchildren. And so uh, one of the great joys is also trying to introduce them into uh, the outdoors and outdoor pursuits. Well, man, you have your hands full and that's awesome. And I'm smiling the whole time listening to you talk. You're kind of a build the fork story yourself in a way, which is really neat. And I should point out it is Dr. Harrison and we've got Dr. Groman here. So once again, we're surrounded by doctors and I'm not one of them. So uh, speaking of non-doctors, Shane, I'm going to throw it over to you now. Uh, as I mentioned, you're the deer outreach specialist in Missouri, but also he leads uh, some of our field to fork hunts, this being one of them. Uh, he's also a guy that, uh, Shane, I look at you as a guy that's good at about anything and most importantly, you're reliable. <laughs> so uh, you can be counted on uh, when we need you and you've done a, a handful of different things well beyond just being a deer outreach specialist. But why don't you tell us a little bit about you, Shane? Well, I kind of grew up right down here on the state line of uh, Missouri and Arkansas, and uh, that's that's where my roots are at in the Ozark Mountains, and uh, kind of straddled the line there enough to where they didn't know uh, if we were in Arkansas or Missouri for the longest time, so I went to school in Missouri uh, through first grade, and then they realized we were actually in Arkansas, so then I went to Arkansas through the rest of my uh, high school career, and uh then I actually went to college in Arkansas at uh, Arkansas Tech University uh, for uh, fisheries and wildlife biology. And uh, that just, uh, uh, that came from dad getting me out in the outdoors and, and really just getting me started. And uh, I was in a tree stand when I was three years old and a, a platform stand that dad uh, uh, made from a couple pieces of plywood and some, and some two befores. And uh, I slept mostly, but uh, that's where I, I kind of got my start of, of deer hunting was with dad and uh, still get to share that that those memories with my dad and, and go hunting with him and uh, now I got uh, kind of like Rodney was saying uh, I can't can't get away from saying uh, enough but got to take my wife out last year and she killed her first deer uh, and then uh, hopefully going to get to take our uh, eight-year-old daughter out uh, and uh, get her her deer or at least take her hunting uh, she's had a, a problem with uh being quiet and still. So uh, we're still working on that to make sure she can get out there in a blind and, and enjoy the, the outdoors just like I, I did when I was a kid growing up. So. Wonderful. And by the way, Shane, when you get old like the rest of us on here, you also will resort back to sleeping a lot in the deer stand. So it's just it's just what we do. So uh, anyway, I caught myself dozing off the other day, as a matter of fact. All right. Well, thank you, Shane. We appreciate that. So let's uh, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit, but I want to go to you, Rod, um, and have you tell us uh, a little bit about what Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries is. Uh, so we'll start there, and then we'll we'll take it down a path where we're going to hear from both of you because you are intertwined in this really cool story that we're going to tell today. Okay. Well, Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries is a 110-year-old ministry here in the state of Missouri. It started off as a place for pastors and their widows that didn't have any option other than the poor farm uh, when they were in their later years of life. In fact, I'm here right now in Arcadia Valley today 
because we are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Rig Scott building. This is a building that for 100 years has been serving the needs of seniors and uh, it expanded from pastors and their widows to really anyone that finds themselves at a season in life where they need a little bit of extra care. Today, we are a nine campus system throughout the state of Missouri. Uh, our corporate offices are in Jefferson City, Missouri. And I have the great privilege and uh, honor to, to be the, the leader of this wonderful organization. So uh, that's just a little bit about Baptist Homes. And uh, many of our campuses have the blessing of property. Uh, where I'm at today, we have 175 acres on our campus here. Uh, we have some other campuses that have anywhere from 40 to 75 acres. And so uh, we're in a beautiful position to enjoy uh, the outdoors. Well, and that leads me right to my next question. And I'm just going to ask you why why you thought a deer hunt might be an opportunity to bring to your residents there. And I, and I want to point out a couple of things in my in my research before the interview here. Um, one of the things I read just really struck me, and it was this statement. It's, it's a way to restore dignity for the senior citizens living in the Baptist Homes Care facilities. They often feel forgotten and alone in their daily lives. And so that obviously uh, is a striking statement. And then the other thing was, and this is a quote directly from you, you said you were providing a you're never too old experience for residents, which I thought was was pretty cool. So uh, I'll lead you in with those, but why a deer hunt? Okay. Well, to, to go to why a deer hunt, we have to back up a few years. As I shared, my father uh, just was a great example. And even though he did not grow up as a avid hunter, uh, when I showed that interest, um, when I was legally old enough to go hunting out in California, uh, back in those days, it was a shotgun only hunt, but he faithfully took me up into the mountains and we went up and down mountains looking for deer. Now, the first year we didn't see anything. I believe the second year we found some deer tracks and we thought that was pretty, pretty cool. And uh, and yet he he gave me that opportunity. And during that that experience, he shared that he also went deer hunting with his father. So when my dad was 16, 17 years old, uh, my grandfather would take him out. He went deer hunting. And over the years, he, he had a few experiences deer hunting, but it wasn't really a part of his culture. Um, in 2000, about 10, my parents moved from California back to Missouri to be closer to, of course, the grandchildren. And so uh, in that transition, he discovered that deer hunting had become a part of my culture and uh, something that I thoroughly enjoyed. And one day while we were uh, probably breaking bread together, he just said, yeah, I would enjoy trying hunting again. And so we signed up for a managed deer hunt at Smithville Lake put on by the Corps of Engineers. It was a, a senior and disabled deer hunt. At that point, he was using a, a cane and a walker to get around. And mm -hmm. while we saw a deer, we were just never able to really get a, a, a good beat on him. And so uh, we let that, that, that opportunity pass. And then uh, we did a couple of other deer hunts. And Always saw something, but we were never able to get that harvest. And, and then my dad started sharing that over the course of the years, he had never harvested a deer. So he'd been a deer hunter, but never a deer harvester. And so when I shared that with one of our board members, he said, Rod, 
I think we can fix that. Um, and so we went down to the Ozarks. Uh, it was a, a property that was just managed very well uh, for habitat. And my dad uh, and I were placed, we, originally they were gonna put us in a tower blind, kind of a redneck blind, and, and he just really couldn't get into it. And so we actually hunted from below the, the stand. We were actually under the blind hunting. And um, in the afternoon session of our hunt, uh, an opportunity presented itself and my father harvested his first deer. It was a two and a half year old, eight point. And I, I remember how excited we were that he had harvested the, that deer. And I suddenly realized I was more excited for my dad than any hunt that I'd ever been a part of. Mm. That evening, as we processed the deer, um, we decided I wanted to get it mounted. And there at our cabin, we had I, I had um, put aside a place to, to put a trophy deer. And over the years, I've been waiting for that trophy deer. Well, that, that space is now occupied by my dad's deer. I love it. Because... What happened is after the deer hunt, not only to see the joy and the smiles on my dad's face, but pretty soon uh, he had folks from his neighborhood, his church, uh, other family members that I hadn't heard from for years. They're all reaching out to me uh, by phone and social media saying, hey, we heard about your dad's deer hunt <laughs> and how excited he is. You know, at Christmas time, that that was the topic of conversation. The photos went around and uh, you know, when that deer came back from the uh, taxidermist, it was just such an exciting moment. And that was the last year my dad physically was able to get into a stand. It would not be possible really today for him uh, without some significant accommodations. But that experience caused me to think, well, maybe it's for such a time as this that uh, the good Lord has put me over Baptist homes. Because when I saw the excitement being out in, in God's creation uh, made for not only my father, but for my mom, for family members, and for others that knew him. They, they all started to live vicariously through my dad's deer hunt. And so um, I'll let you know Shane kind of tell a little bit of where that went next. But <clears throat> I will say my, my dad's deer hunt, which was in the 2020 season, uh, he harvested in November of 2020. That was the genesis of this idea of let's reactivate seniors and let's do what we can to uh, to engage more seniors once again, to re-engage them into deer hunting. Well, yeah, this, the hunting and certainly the white-tailed deer brings people together. Absolutely. And that's no better story than that. And uh you know, I, I understand that it's kind of around the uh, facility there that when it gets around hunting season that some of your residents will do a, talk a little hunting as they get into the spirit and talk about it. And so I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, we're going to find ourselves there someday, too, where we're mostly just talking about it. So, Shane, I think we're going to kick it over to you then and hear a little bit more. Yeah, it was a it was a, a neat kind of exchange of how this all took place and uh Kind of one of my main job duties there for a while was uh, getting wildlife cooperatives set up amongst landowners, which is last time I was on the show, talked a little bit about cooperatives and uh, how you can get involved in landowner cooperatives and things like that. But uh, Rod's actually one of our co-op leaders uh, of the one of our co-ops in uh, northwest Missouri. And uh, so my counterpart 
at the time uh, got involved with the rod and, and they got a co-op set up and, and started talking. And then uh, he pitched this idea and, and talked to her about the uh, taking his dad hunting out there and uh, getting his first deer. And uh, it just kind of sparked that, that conversation. And, and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm a president of Baptist Homes and we have uh, nine campuses across Missouri. And uh, I think this uh, might be a, I'd really like to be able to get the seniors out there. And he said, you know, on top of that, just like he was saying, it's the hundredth anniversary of the Arcadia Valley or the kind of their flagship campus. And he said, what better thing and what better time to celebrate uh, our hundredth anniversary than uh, with a commemorative deer hunt for, for the residents. And uh, I said, you know what, I don't think we want to miss this opportunity because I don't really know of anybody else that's doing senior hunts. And, uh, you know, we have our, our field to fork programs that take out, uh, you know, new adult hunters. And uh, it's part of the R3 initiative that we call Recruit, Retain, Reactivate. And most of the time we're, we're focusing on recruitment of new hunters and or retaining those hunters that we do recruit. Uh, but this one really meant, went more towards the reactivate, just like Rob was saying with him. It was something that they did as they, when they were younger, maybe when they were a kid, maybe uh, their you know family took them out uh, hunting. Uh, and a lot of these folks that are, that are at Baptist homes, they uh, kind of got there with a mindset that they didn't think they could do it anymore or wouldn't have the opportunity to go hunting more. Uh, and they were, you know, Kind of fast forward, like you said, looking forward someday, you know, we'll all be there and uh, we can just talk about it and think, well, maybe we'll, you know, how much I love hunting now. I can't, can't imagine life without it. Uh, but that was the case for some of these folks uh, is they were in a place where they didn't think they would ever get to go out and enjoy that love of hunting again. And, and uh, with these, these senior field to fork events, uh, these senior hunts, we've been able to reactivate uh, some great folks that used to be hunters and uh, it has sparked that love of hunting again and uh, it's just been an, an awesome experience to be a part of and uh, like like Rod said with his dad just to see the total transformation and change in these folks uh, from a deer hunt something as simple as a deer hunt uh, just reinvigorates them and gives them a new lease on life and uh, I think that's been one of the most if not the most rewarding parts of my career that I've had uh, in the outdoor industry as uh, being able to share that with these folks and uh, just see their whole demeanor change. And, and some of them, it is life-changing and which sounds kind of silly to somebody who doesn't know about deer hunting, but uh, life-changing event uh, from deer hunting, even if they don't harvest anything, just getting to get out there and, and enjoy the outdoors and, and have that time and camaraderie is something else. Well, I'll jump in here just for a second to at least affirm what you've said, because I worked in healthcare for over 20 years in acute care facilities. And the one thing that we always noticed, and this is strictly anecdotal, but the one thing we always noticed is the individuals that would were admitted and came in to be treated, no matter how sick they were, if they believed in their heart of hearts that they had a purpose, whether it be a pet at home or a significant other at home that they needed to get home for or care for, like that purpose, they always recovered so much faster than the remainder of the population. So it's, it's 
I will have to say, if you've never been around these situations, the power of the brain and someone's drive and heart and spirit, when they truly believe in their heart of hearts that there's a purpose or there's something that they want to achieve, it, it transcends, I think, health. I think it transcends the almost the physical world around us sometimes, how they can really push through some really tough times. And adding something like this to someone's life that believes that there isn't anything out there for them anymore, I'm sure made some significant changes in people. The work we do at the National Deer Association wouldn't be possible without the support from partners like Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, and their customers throughout North America. A grant from the Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's Outdoor Fund is supporting the NDA's national initiative called Improving Access, Habitat, and Deer Hunting on Public Lands, with the goal of improving 1 million acres of federal and state-controlled lands by 2026. This grant is directly accelerating work in this initiative to address forest vigor and access issues in six states. In the end, this will address declines in deer hunter numbers, habitat quality, and hunter access, helping to improve wildlife conservation for generations to come. Well, one of the stories I'd like to share is, is a story of Fred. Uh, Fred was uh, a gentleman that came to Baptist Homes. His wife had passed away. Uh, he was a retired pastor, uh, highly educated gentleman. And in Fred's mind, he really had very little to live for. Uh, he, he, was, he was ready to be home. He wanted to be with his wife. He wanted to be with his Lord. And he was, he was excited about that part of the journey, but he really didn't want to be at Baptist Homes. He had very little to live for, and uh, the administrator, Dan Stiles, encouraged him to be a part of the, the first deer hunt that we did. And so Fred Fred did. He, he, he participated in the first deer hunt, and it just sparked a, a, a whole new opportunity for his life. And when the hunt was over, one of the comments that Fred made it has become really even somewhat of a, a catchphrase for these events, and that is, said, I thought I had come here to die, but through this event, God showed me, he brought me here to live. Mm. And so Fred not only became a part of the reactivated hunters, but through that conversation a few months later, I, I received a phone call uh, and talked to his son. And his son jokingly said, what have you done to my dad? Mm. Because his dad now was talking about living. Um, he was talking about now going fishing. And in fact, almost any day you can find Fred down here at the pond and he's fishing and he's out of doors. He's recruiting other hunters. We started off with five hunters in the first year here at Arcadia Valley. This year we had seven. One of the reasons is because Fred was recruiting new hunters. Uh, then we find out that family members have been saying, well, hold it. If grandpa can go hunting, I should go hunting. And so <laughs> we are all three of the R3 initiatives lived out through these hunts. That's one story, but that story is replicated at every one of our locations as individuals are sharing the hunt. This year, even those that were maybe not able to go on the hunt or probably didn't want to go on the hunt still participated. They set up a bunch of old Christmas trees and uh, they, some staff put antlers on and they had Nerf guns. And if you could have seen, <laughs> The joy and the chaos and the, the living that was taking place as individuals were celebrating and even living vicariously through those that were able to go 
on the hunts. And one of the things that we've really strived to do, and that is you need to make some intentional accommodations. You know, a question was asked by uh, uh, one person, well, how do you choose those that will go hunting? And the answer is we make it available pretty much to anybody. And we will do what we need to to accommodate them, whether that's through an ADA accessible blind, <clears throat> whether that's making sure that they're next to a road where we need to bring a van to pick them up and drop them off, uh, whether we need to have additional volunteers with them in the uh, in the blind. We understand we have to make unique accommodations, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And, and that's what I think sometimes we we forget is the, the type of deer hunting that you and I may enjoy may not be exactly what uh, someone who maybe doesn't have some of the physical abilities, but by getting them out and making those opportunities available, uh, we are seeing transformation. Just, just as was shared, it gives people something to live for. And so it's so exciting to see how this is changed some lives here at Baptist Homes, but also hopefully it will be a challenge for others to be thinking about who is in my family, maybe in my community, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, maybe someone at church, or maybe a civic organization who maybe used to be a hunter and nobody's invited them for years because it will take a few accommodations. We might have to, you know, get an extra volunteer or two. We might have to sacrifice some of our own hunting time to be in the uh, the blind. Um, this year, Shane sacrificed his birthday to be in the stand with one of our seniors. And if you know anything about Shane and his birthday buck, which I think he shared a little <laughs> bit about oh, yeah. a while back, uh, you know, it will take some sacrifice, but it is worth it. Yeah, I mean, you certainly... Uh, that's very well put. I mean, it's 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 like other aspects. Like if you're if you decide you want to get in shape, right? You're going to have to sacrifice and put yourself through some things, but the payoff is there. And this is very much like that. And I know anytime I've been with somebody through our field to fork program that takes their first deer, it is uh, definitely a moving experience. And uh, I think in in the cases in this case and with this particular event, it wasn't even about taking a deer. It was just getting them out there and they realize I'm, I'm actually out hunting and to, to Fred's wonderful statement that he was brought there to live. And I think that uh, really just sums it up for sure. So I got to ask you this, I want to step back a little bit. So you come up with this idea and you, you find uh, a partnership with the National Deer Association. And so when you first bring it up to some of the residents in there, like, what was the reaction? Because like, the only parallel I can draw is like, when I was younger, I played baseball. And then I shortly after college, I didn't play for like 15 years. And then someone said, Hey, I want to get you back involved with baseball. And I was like, you crazy? Like, I can't even find my glove right now. Uh, so what was the reaction of the residents? You know, the first question that was asked is, how would that work? And <laughs> so we had answers and there was yeah. the key. We had some answers. How would that work? Well, we have some blinds that are set up in easy to access locations. We have volunteers that will be with you at all times. We have radios that are available in case there's something that comes up. We will provide the crossbows, we'll provide the training. But one of the great attractions is this is not just about deer hunting, it's about living and learning. Think about the 
biology that you learn, learning about hunting ethics, learning about deer behavior, learning about shot placement, learning about um, the North American model of wildlife management, and then taking that learning, that, that cognitive uh, experience, and having a culinary experience. Because in Field to Fork, we're enjoying some wonderful meals that were all made of venison. Uh, the first year, uh, the uh, Northern Missouri Deer Outreach Specialist, she prepare, prepared uh, venison sliders. This year, we had uh, venison uh, smash burgers. We had smoked venison. We've had venison chili. Uh, we've had venison uh, fillies. And so we're able to have a very tactile experience that it is it goes far beyond just the deer hunt, but it's a part of living. And that is what makes field to fork so effective. Um, when my son, who is nearing 40 years old, heard about field to fork, he said, could I do that? Now, remember, my wow. son grew up in California. He had never been hunting. I didn't take him hunting because of our culture. We lived in a big mega city. And when he said, wow, that senior deer hunt sounds really cool. Uh, we were able to plug him into an upcoming field to fork event during the late Missouri antlerless season. And my son, who is a very cerebral engineer, was amazed at the classroom component. I think that trumped the time that he spent in the blind, but he was so enthralled with learning about deer and their movement, their biology, um, learning about you know how they, they perceive the world and how their senses are different. So when he got into the blind, uh, he, he was transformed and he did harvest his first deer, but I remember him making a decision. There's probably a dozen deer to choose from He's a first-time hunter, and he sees one who has been injured. Uh -huh. And you can very care that th this deer is about 20 pounds lighter than the other antlerless deer in the field. It was a, a doe, probably a several. In fact, it turned out to be, it looks like uh, when they did the, uh, the testing, it was a five-and-a-half-year-old doe, much smaller than the other deer. And he said, Dad, I'm going to harvest that deer because it's not going to make it through the season anyways. It's been injured, probably a car uh uh, encounter, but he made an ethical decision because of the training. And so um, our residents, they may not be recruited by the prospect of being in the blind as much as being in an environment where they're learning, there's camaraderie, they're able to tell their story. The field of fork is the whole deal. It's the real deal. And it works for every age group. Uh, we're certainly proud of it. And, uh, you know, I was going to ask you questions about what does it all entail, but you, you summed it up there really well. I mean, we put these folks through a full uh, education program. And so even, even if you're not going out and doing the hunting, it's, there's value there. And I, I one of the things I enjoy about that part of it, I was just at a, a field to fork event in Pennsylvania uh, with some of our team. And, and, and it's when you have people that have never hunted before, the things they that crosses their mind to ask are not questions like this experienced hunter would ask. And so I'm always sort of amazed by that. And it, it just brings it back to realizing there's so much about deer that people don't know and aren't aware of. But whenever they walk out of this program, whether they've taken a deer or not, 
they certainly are way more educated on it. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a great story. So let me let me go here, and I think this would be really a, a good place to take this as we as we uh, get toward the end of the interview here, and that is we know what the impact on the participants is, and it and it's really good. And and we'll make sure in the show notes. By the way, there was an outstanding video that was done. I've probably watched it ten times now. Uh, from Bass Pro Shops that uh, covered this event. And you get to see some of the characters that we've talked about here on the show. And it's just so moving. I mean, it's, it never gets old watching it. So we'll put that in the show notes. But the impact on you both, specifically with this hunt. Now, I know Shane Shane and I actually will work together on a, other field of fork hunt in Missouri. And it's not senior citizens, okay? This is different. It hits different. It's just different. So the impact on both of you try do your best to to tell us about that Shane I'll let you go first yeah that's a that's a lot to process and a lot to try to spit out in a short amount of time but you know I, I gotta brag a little bit that I was the one who got to mentor Fred last uh, his, for his hunt and uh it was it was amazing to see that transformation and here's a guy at the time, he was 91 years old and had lived, you know, more than two lives compared to mine. And uh, like, like Rod said, you know, very highly educated. I don't know how many degrees he's got, but it's a bunch. And uh, he's had so many accolades and so many things in his life. I just wanted to sit and listen to him talk and hear about his experiences and just try to soak that in. And here he's uh, he's listening to me for advice on this deer hunt. And I'm like, I'm the one that's taking more away from this than, than you are. And then uh, this year, I got to go back and uh, see Fred again. And I heard that he was getting all you know involved in, in fishing down there. And uh, as soon as I pulled up, I see him. Uh, he got a little scooter and he had, uh, had his fishing rods tied into his little scooter and he was headed down the hill to the pond so that he could go fish. Wow. And, uh, I, I told him later, I was like, I was like, well, I heard you'd been fishing. I said, I, I meant to bring my fishing pole so that I could go fishing with you. And he goes, Hey, I got an, another rod in my room. I can go get it for you. Like he was ready to go right then. Uh, and then, you know, Rod had told me that they had had a, uh, like a youth fishing derby out there at the, the campus. And, uh, Fred was right there front and center helping those kids out and telling them, hey, if you want to catch some, you know, sunfish or, or some little brim, you can go over to this side of the pond. But the bass, they seem to be over on that side of the pond. And, and here's what baits I've been using that have been working. And he was giving them all of these different things and, you know, just rewind a year. And he was he was ready to go home. He was ready ready to for his life to be over and, and what a life he's lived. And now this this has just totally changed his life. And then hearing about his son uh, calling and asking, "What did you do to my dad?" And I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> what what was that about?" And then find out that it was a good thing uh, that got him involved and got him looking and seeing what's going on, and building, rebuilding that relationship with his dad uh, because of this, because of his dad's different outlook on life, uh, and just all the different people that I've got to share a blind with. Um, you know, you're, you're there for a deer hunt and 
still haven't, I, I mean, I haven't been in a blind where I've harvested deer on one of these senior hunts yet, but we've seen some deer, uh, but somebody said, well, you know, you know, well, was it successful? And I, I, I asked that question and say, well, what's your definition of success? And uh, if it's going by, if something was harvested, then okay, they, they really haven't been that successful. Uh, but if you talk to anybody that's been a part of these senior hunts, you're gonna, they're going to tell you this has absolutely been a huge success uh, in, in every way. And uh, just seeing everybody's, I mean, it, it really is like watching them, you know, reminisce and, and their eyes twinkle again and uh, just lights them up. Uh, it just makes me think of, of my grandparents and, uh, you know, how much I love my grandparents and, and getting out there and being with them as well. Um, I, I don't know. It, it It's just, a, it's been probably the most rewarding experience of my career being a part of these senior hunts uh, and being a part of these people's lives and uh, still investing in those relationships, uh, you know, since then. And uh, it's just a, it's a pleasure to be able to, to share that little bit of their incredible lives that they've led uh, during this event. It's been great. Outstanding. And, and uh, what, what? I was going to say, Fred, by the way, looks awesome. He's in his nineties. He looks great. <laughs> I'm glad that he's reinvigorated and, and he's found, found something that's really driving him. So that's, that's a great story. Go ahead, Rod. I'm sorry. You know, one of the uh, one of the real benefits of the senior hunts is, as I shared, it takes a little bit more intentionality, maybe a little bit more logistical planning. But this is where our volunteers have come in. So I'll I'll use this as an example. In uh, 2022, we hosted our first three senior deer hunts here at Arcadia Valley. We had five hunters. Um, we've had 23 so far uh, since we started these events. Of those, one third have been first time deer hunters. And so we are doing some great work on recruitment, but the majority of them are reactivated hunters. And uh, yet we probably have had five times the number of volunteers. In year one, here at Arcadia Valley, we saw one deer. Hmm. And it was a little bit disappointing. The weather was not cooperative. It was a hot day. The winds were swirling. We saw one deer, but, uh, through that event, some volunteers said, well, here's some things we can do in the area of habitat management. We worked with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Uh, we had volunteers that started doing uh, bow range burns. We started to do some uh, uh, invasive control, some uh, small food plots. This year, with very similar weather conditions, we saw 19 deer wow. and 15 turkey. And so we're seeing that this is the, an opportunity to uh, allow people to enjoy creation. We have some that are not hunters, but they're helping with habitat improvement. It has been an educational tool. We have brought in the conservation department to uh, talk to our seniors about uh, habitat management, wildlife biology. This has really been a springboard that has helped Baptist Homes kind of stand out as uh, an organization that believes that uh, discipleship doesn't have an expiration date. Learning does not have an expiration date, that, that we, are, we are here to live. And so, uh, you know, this wouldn't have been possible without our volunteers. And so what have I gained out of it? I, I have gained such an appreciation for how people will give of their time, their talents, and even their treasures to be able to help others 
enjoy creation. And so we've been really blessed with not only our partnership with the NDA, but with um, churches and individuals who have really gone the extra mile. And yet every volunteer without exception says, I'm getting more out of this than I'm giving. And so it's just been a win-win in every category I can imagine. Hmm. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it, guys. And I uh, yeah, just appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing this great story with us. As I said, uh, we will have a link in the notes to find the video that we referenced. You can see some of the characters involved here. And uh, yeah, hey, I mean, and thank you both for, like you said, it's a commitment. It had to start with an idea and a willingness to say, you know what, it's going to be harder, but that's okay because we're going to figure it out. And uh, you all did that. And so we're certainly proud to be part of it, certainly proud of uh, Shane's work to, to help with that and, uh, you know, Rod, your work as well. So thank you for the vision to make this happen. I really love that story. I've seen it and been aware of it many times, of course, through my role here at the NDA. So, but but hearing it again and hearing it from, uh, from those two that are living it, um, I would just say, for me, it was sort of a reset. It reminds you of what hunting is really about it's about the memories um hearing that at the home that every fall some of the residents are talking about uh, their hunting experiences so they're they still have it in them even though they may not be out there hunting and it really is uh it was a reality check mike for me because um you know I hate to be all sad on the show here but when you think about it it's likely that we've hunted more to this point than we will going forward depending on our health and so on and so uh, I just, I think it helps keep things in perspective when you hear stories like this, whenever you're having a tough hunt and things are going wrong. You know, I had a miserable hunt, uh, one of my hunts in Delaware, because I got lazy, started feeling sorry for myself. And that that's, you know, I'm climbing down the tree early and here comes some deer. Uh, and that, that just made me flip a switch. And I thought about this story and I thought, you know what, you need to just make every hunt awesome one way or another and forget about results and all those types of things. And so that's what this story really did for me. It's a very touching one. And I was glad to be able to bring it uh, to the folks here. Oh, well, I agree. I think that's something that we all should really take away from anything in life is that anything that you really enjoy doing, the worst day of that can't be any, you know, you know, like for me, the way I look at it is I would gladly have my worst day of hunting when I reach a point that I can't hunt anymore. So, you know, looking at things and putting them in perspective is, I think, what you're talking about, where we can actually get something out of every single hunt that that's enjoyable, that kind of enriches us and enhances us as a person. So um, I will say that, and if you could, I'd put the link to the video um, of that in the show notes, because just to be able to put faces and see some of that energy and excitement and emotion of those um, wonderful individuals uh, get a chance to hunt is, is very moving. Like I, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely like tearjerker material folks. So if you want to, if you want to feel all, all, you know, emotional and all that, you'll definitely want to check out the, uh, the video link. And so we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, for sure. Incidentally, it's funny how things work out that same morning when I was uh, not putting forth my best effort. It was also the the uh, youth gun season there in Delaware. And we had 
a couple youth in the woods with us and Ron was with the one young fellow who shot his first deer, which happened to be a buck. And so to see the excitement on that young man's face as he's, I think he's 12 and just starting his hunting career and his brother, who's a few years older, shot a doe that morning. And so again, like that's what it's all about. And they have a lot of uh, great hunting years ahead of them. So just a reminder, let's all keep it in perspective and, uh, and approach things the right way. All right. Hey, folks, uh, just a few announcements here from the National Deer Association. Uh, it's time to start thinking about Christmas. <laughs> uh, I was, I was uh, reminded of this by my wife this morning. Uh, NDA premium memberships are a great gift idea to give uh, one of your hunting buddies, someone in your family, or even a life membership. We're still running the deal where you get a nice Howa bolt action rifle with that deal if you want to do that. Uh, also, check out our NDA store on our website. We have apparel, we have signs, we have book, books, uh, all kinds of cool things there. So check that out as we head toward the holiday season. Hunting content. There's no, we, we don't put out more hunting content any time of the year than we are right now. A couple articles I want to point you to. Uh, Matt Ross wrote a cool article, 10 Tips on Rattling More Bucks. Uh, cool article there. You want to check that out. Uh, another one, Eight Ways Deer Are Opposite of What Many Hunters Think. Now, Lindsay put that out earlier this year, but we re-ran it, and uh, it's still pertinent now. I think that's something to check out. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just add that all of our content, folks, it's, it's always 100% based on good, good deer science and research. Uh, and so we recognize that there are always variables uh, to some of these things, and a, a radio-collared group of deer isn't necessarily reflective of everything. We recognize that, but for the most part... Um, you know, every, everything that we write, well, I mean, hundred percent of the time, everything we write is at least based on the science that's available to us. And it's funny because I've listened to several podcasts, uh, you know, over the last few days. And so it's, it's interesting how much bad information and false information is put out there. And so I would just say, be careful of where you get your info, even from some prominent personalities, say some things that we know are just completely inaccurate in terms of the science of things. So, uh, be careful where you get your info, and that's one thing that we're all very proud of here at the NDA is that you're going to get uh, the information based on the science. A couple of what I listened to that I'll point you to, though, uh, there was a really good uh, Outdoor Life podcast that had Dr. Grant Woods as a guest. Some really, really good stuff there. I couldn't disagree with anything in that one, and uh, especially the stuff Grant talks about with hunting moon phases. Uh, he did some of the initial research on that back in the day, and I would I would check that out. It's really good. And also, uh, Mark Kenyon's Wired to Hunt podcast, he did a really good one with Bill Winky that stood out to me. He's one of the better ones I've heard here during uh, this rut period. So, hey, also, I'll remind you, send us your hunting photos and stories. We'd love to have you as a guest. Uh, you uh, shoot a buck of a lifetime or have a memory of a lifetime, let us know. We'll bring you on. We'll talk about it. I want to thank you again for listening, folks. Good luck in the deer woods. It is rut time. It is November. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.